0: Welcome to Coffee and Tea with SNL. Everything you love about your favorite coffee shop, all wrapped up in a podcast. I'm Lisa, and I'm passionate about tea, travel, good food, and great conversations, and anything that makes me grow.
1: I'm Sabine, and I create spaces that people enjoy. I'm also a wife, mother of two, a coffee lover, and enjoy a great scented candle.
0: We're two great friends, committed to living our best lives and seeing others live theirs.
1: Welcome to Coffee and Tea.
0: Hi, Lisa. Hello, Sabine. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm excited about our conversation. It's about to happen.
1: Yes, so um, today we are interviewing a good friend of mine, Lysandra Weber. She is the owner, designer of Geek Chic Fashion, which is a modern and chic comfortable, which is like my language, comfortable, um, independent clothing label that's made right here in the U.S. So, um, hi, Lysandra. Hi, Sabine thank you for having me welcome to coffee and tea um we always like to start off with uh something we call what's in your cup so we like to start with the guest so since you're a guest today what's in your cup Lysandra? yeah so I have pomegranate green tea it's my jam Um,
0: and show your mug I I like your mug See it. yes I'm a black woman business owner love that And yes. you're drinking tea. So you're my kind of girl. You're also
1: drinking pomegranate green tea. One of my favorites. Love yeah. it. <laughs> you're tea tea. It's all right. It's all good. It's okay. <laughs> Lisa, what's in your cup?
0: So I'm a big fan of rooibos tea just because I love the strong taste, but the caffeine-free nature. So I'm drinking one that has cardamom, ginger, antioxidants, and cloves. So it's kind of like a rooibos chai. Going on, so that's
1: what I'm drinking. So, my cup is blending into my background today. I'm trying to
0: give us some beach vibes, and I see. <laughs> um, but yes, <laughs> so that's what I'm drinking.
1: And I have coffee coffee for the win and my gratitude mug. Um, I am trying a new line, it's called Black and Bold, and it's actually a black owned company coffee brand. This one is actually a light roast. I usually am a medium to dark roast person. But this one's good. It has notes of chocolate, blueberry and honey. So it's not as like sweet as I usually have it. But it's, it's really good. I I like it. And I have um, some half and half and a little bit of sweetened condensed milk since I didn't put sugar in it. So you have a super fancy one today. I guess so, you know. Yeah, usually I'm just like, oh, this is my cup of Joe. But yeah. So Lysandra, welcome. Welcome to Coffee and Tea. Um, I gave a, a small introduction of like who you are, but I'd like to share how we know each other. Mm. and i was telling lisa before the co- before the podcast i don't know if you remember this but so we know each other from college you went to penn i went to the art institute but you were like a senior and you used to always call me freshman that was my nickname <laughs> i do remember <laughs> that <laughs> <laughs> and I always thought it was like, you know how when like you're a freshman and somebody is like a senior and you're like, they're so cool. And I'm so little. Yeah, I'm so little. Like they've done this whole college thing and I'm just like in this new city because you know, I'd moved from Jersey. So Philadelphia was like this new fresh like city. And so, um, yeah, so you used to always call me like freshman, freshman. <laughs> I, I do remember that
2: Yeah, I do remember that. That was that was good times.
1: Yeah, that was a really good times. So I feel like I have like such great memories. Like, so when I found out um that you were starting a clothing line, I was like really excited, but I was also surprised. And so um share with us like what your journey is. Well, I guess share with everyone like who they don't know you as well as I know you, like who you are, (laughs) who you are, who is Lysandra. Um, Tell us a a little about your story and your journey and how you got to where you are now.
2: Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we met when I was at Penn. um, And gosh, it seems like a lifetime ago. Uh, I know. But yeah, so I was studying business in undergrad. And I had like, in the back of my mind, always known I wanted to start my own business. At that time, I was thinking I was going to open a jazz lounge. (laughs) Jazz lounge. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. I studied marketing though. So I was going to do the whole corporate marketing thing. And then like later in life, start my own business. Um, So got out of undergrad, worked at like interesting, but like weird jobs. So I worked at the Olympic bid committee when um, they're trying to get the Olympics in New York City.
0: Oh,
2: wow. That sounds like a super fun job. Yeah. Well, I was an intern. (laughs) It was, it was, I did a lot of really, really cool things. It was one of those jobs where you get to meet, like I met Donald Trump, like before he was the crazy person that he is now. I was um, like, uh (laughs) uh-oh. Right. I met a bunch of Olympians, um, which was so cool because I ran track and field when I was in high school. So those were like, I wasn't into celebrities. I was into like Olympians.
1: Yeah, so It so yeah, a big deal.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I got to meet a ton of them. Um, I got to go to like all over New York City, and like we did an event in Rockefeller Center, and I got to experience Times Square on New Year's Eve. But like, I had a VIP pass, so I didn't have to like stand out in the
0: mobs. Yeah, I tried it with the mob past. once. It was the worst. So yeah, yeah I did that once. Only way. That's
1: I never do it. VIP is the way to do it.
0: So that was
2: like my first job out of undergrad. Then I went to work for an ad agency and then I worked at the Brooklyn brewery. I did marketing. So ad agency is advertising. Then I did marketing at the brewery. Um, And then it was the tie for all of it was marketing. It was always marketing, but I decided after that, that I wanted to go to grad school, which is what brought me to North Carolina. And studied sustainability and entrepreneurship, so taking that next step closer to entrepreneurship, um, and thinking about the ways that business can influence sustainability, with, because you know businesses have a lot of dollars, they have a lot of influence and power. So like, how can I incorporate that? I ended up working at Bird's Bees after that, and you know that's like the like the epitome of like a natural green company, right? Yeah. Um, so that was a, it was a, a interesting experience. Um, But like, as my time there evolved, I realized I got pregnant with my son and was like, I had been doing geek chic fashion on the side. So I had started making skirts and things for myself because I couldn't find clothes that like fit me and flattered my shape that I really felt good about in a professional setting. And so um, I was making skirts for myself on the side. My coworkers were loving them. They're like, oh, where'd you get that skirt? I was like, I made it. And they're like, no, you didn't. I'm like, no, yeah, actually I made this skirt. That's Uh, the best
1: when somebody doesn't believe that you actually, that's when you know, you're like, oh,
2: this is actually really good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I started making skirts for them. I started doing pop-up markets. Then I got pregnant with my son and was like, am I going to go back to corporate America or can I make this a thing? Can I make this my actual job? And I took a month to really go after it, like really put energy and effort behind marketing it and stuff like that. And I made a decent amount of money. And I was like, I think I can do this. And so I decided not to go back to corporate America and to focus my energy on Geek Chic Fashion is my primary job at that time. And that was seven years ago. And it's just
0: grown since. So I'm glad you mentioned that you've always wanted to have your own business and you have this business background, which set you up really nicely. But I guess at what point, what, what was it about your background or your skills that made you think, I'm looking for these clothes, let me make them? Because I struggled with not finding the right clothes. Never once did I think, let me make them. I'm like, no, let me just keep looking. So how did we get to, let me just go and make them?
2: Sure, that's fair. I've always been like into crafty things. Like I learned how to crochet when I was in eighth grade. And I crocheted this like lime green elephant. When I made my first quilt, when I was nine years old, I was in, I had appendicitis, my appendix ruptured. So I was in the hospital for nine days. And I started literally like hand sewing a quilt. And when I left the hospital, my great aunt helped me finish it. And so like the idea of like making and creating has always been a part of my life. And so when I couldn't find what I wanted, I was like, We have a sewing machine. Like, I'm sure I can just find a pattern and make this. It can't be that hard. And the first several things that I made were really terrible. Like, let's not (laughs) pretend that I've always been this, like, fabulous fashion designer. Um, I have some really terrible examples of things that I made. But, like, you learn by doing, right? True. Like, I kept making things. I made stuff for myself at first. I made these, like, amazing
0: wrap pants that I still love. Um, That sounds awesome. And that sounds like something that's very good for COVID life. Yes. Yes. Cause I'd be
2: out of a of linen. linen and they were like, so you could wear them at home. They're comfortable, but they're linen. So when you wear them out, they still look nice. Very nice. And yeah. Um, yeah. And I just, I, you know, I tried a lot of things and when, so when I was wearing these pieces to work and people were like, Oh, I love that. Where'd you get it? That's when it dawned on me like, Oh, people might actually buy these things that I'm making instead of me just making them for myself. And so that's where I transitioned from like, I'm just going to try to make things that fit my style to, oh, people want this. this. Like this is an actual customer need. That's great. Do you remember the first thing you sold? I mean, there's like, so there's a couple like iterations of my business. So when I first first started in New York City, I was crocheting scarves. And like before I, I transitioned to like women's clothes and I sold a scarf that had the pattern of fractals on it, like crocheted into it. So that was okay. like- wow. Like very, And that was like, I was just making stuff for fun and like had too much, too many scarves in my house. And I was like, let me sell this because there's too many of them. But then um, when I made skirts, when I started making skirts, probably the first skirt I sold, I mean, I think it was a fractured linear skirt. So that skirt's still on my website. It's still one of my best sellers because it is super cute. It's incredibly comfortable. I make my skirts out of the same material as yoga pants. And it's a striped skirt. And a lot of people shy away from stripes because of whatever... Society tells us about stripes. Yeah, Uh, These have like diagonal stripes that intersect and the back is also diagonal stripes. So it's like a fun, like visually interesting piece, but you can pair it with a red top, a white top, a purple top, a denim top. Like you can pair it with
1: anything and it really still looks great. So I understand that. So you met your need, right? Of okay, I can't find anything. So let me make it. I understand that. But what other needs, I guess, were you trying to meet or are still trying to meet? Because I also know that a large portion of your inspiration too, is like women in the STEM industry as well, which is science, technology, engineering, mathematics. Um, But talk a little bit about that too, like some of the other needs.
2: Yeah, so there's like this underlying idea behind geek chic fashion that um, I not only provide stylish and comfortable clothing, but clothing that speaks to women in a way that says something about who they are. So I talk a lot about women in STEM. So like a lot of my pieces have these sort of STEM inspired names, like the prism skirt is when I just launched the fractured linear skirt, right? A play on graphing algebraic equations. Um, I had a bioluminescent skirt for a number of years, which looks like flowers bioluminescent, which is lighting up at night. It didn't light up, but it, like it had that effect with the, yeah. the colors and the way that it played.
0: That's so beautiful. Do you not have that skirt
2: anymore? I don't. I couldn't get the fabric anymore. They stopped uh, making the fabric.
1: Okay. <laughs> Where do you even go to look for these fabrics? I, I have a couple of suppliers that I
2: use. Okay. You know, and so I don't think that the people who are designing these prints... Are necessarily thinking about STEM things, but like when you see it, when you have that perspective and you see it, like there's a fabric I just bought that I'm experimenting with a top, and it's got little pluses and X's. And when I saw it, I was like addition and multiplication. (laughs) But I'm pretty pretty sure the person who saw it was not thinking about that when they (laughs) (laughs) did. Yeah, yeah. So you know, in that way, like they have these. STEM-inspired themes to them. But if a a person who wasn't interested in that saw it, they would still think it's a beautiful skirt. But women who know think think it's really cool and it really says something about who they are, right? And that's important. And also um, body acceptance is a really important piece of the need that I'm trying to f- and like the message I'm trying to spread about fashion because fashion is not an industry that tells you your body is okay. The way that it is.
1: Nope. It's is all not. about,
2: Hey, wear this skirt. Cause it'll make you look skinny. Wear this top because it'll make your boobs look bigger or don't wear wide leg pants. Cause it'll make you look short. Don't wear skinny jeans because it'll make you look like an overstuffed ice cream coat.
0: Like whatever. Make you look wide. Don't like, it's all about, it's focused on the lack and what you don't have and how you're not enough.
2: Exactly, because that's how they think they're gonna sell you things. Buy my fame because it will make you that thing that you're lacking. I'm not about that. I don't want women to feel that way. I believe that you don't have to like be positive about your body because we all have complex feelings about our bodies. But like, you don't have to lose 10 pounds to wear the skirt. You don't have to gain 10 pounds to wear the skirt. Dress for what your body looks like right now. Find pieces that make you feel good in them. And don't worry about what other people are thinking. Like, If you love it, wear it.
1: I feel like that's so important right now because I don't know about you. I know like, I gained so much weight during quarantine just because I was just baking and making and <laughs> eating all of the things um, and not moving as much. Yeah. And so, yeah, we can get into our own heads because I think the fashion industry, I love what you're saying because it, the way that I see it is you're making your own poster. You're like, you are the poster child. (laughs) Instead of looking at a poster child that's being told, you know, this is what beautiful is. This is what, you know, it means to be beautiful. This is what beauty is. So I love that.
0: Yeah. So I was watching another interview of yours. We talked about, and I'm going to butcher your quote, but something to the effect of wear what you want with a body that you have and I remember just loving that quote and thinking what a healthy perspective, what a great way to see life. And the fact that, again, we don't know how long we have, like you have this body, wear whatever you want to wear in that body. Absolutely. Where did you develop that view given that the world we're in spends all its energy telling us how we're not enough. You know, that's a,
2: it's a good question. Where, where have I always had it? Where does it come from? My mom has been, phenomenal and providing me with words of affirmation. I have never been a small person, relatively speaking, like I'm like a size 14 right now. I was a cheerleader when I was in middle school, high school and college. And that does a number on your body image. But I will say that like, I, I was never small, I could never I was never a flyer. I was always the base. That means I was always the person on the bottom of the pyramid, lifting people up. I was never the one that was on the top because I was too big. I always felt like I'm strong. I'm powerful. I'm capable. People knew that if they were being thrown over a pyramid, I was the one that was going to catch them. I was never going to let them fall. And for me, that was, that felt good. Like I, I felt good with that, my role in that way. I didn't ever think, gosh, I wish I was a flyer. I mean, there was, there was one moment where my cheerleading coach was like, if you want to make the team, you need to lose weight because- we're moving to a co-ed team and the guys can't lift you i did go through like six months where i only ate salad and that was <laughs> yeah it was ridiculous and you know college and i taught myself how to do a back handspring and like all this crazy stuff but that passed with graduating from college but i've always i remember i had a, um i went to see a nutritionist when i was in grad school just to help like make sure i was eating healthy and things like that and I've been overweight forever, and because of how BMI works, and it's not designed for Black women, it's not. You know, designed for people I,
0: for women. Yeah, say it really so. is.
2: Yeah. I, I equate BMI to Santa Claus. It's-
0: <laughs> 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 Doesn't exist. Um, not where I thought you were going with that, but I like that a lot. <laughs> Thank you
2: for that. So because I'm overweight, like I saw a nutritionist, and she was like. It's so fascinating working with you because you have such a positive body image for somebody. She's like, normally I'm dealing with people and I have to convince them that they're that you're fine. that your body's fine. She's like, you think that you're fabulous. And I was like, I do. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. So yeah. So I mean, it's sort of like it's always stuck with me. And like the fashion industry does get into your head though. You see, like, I have friends that design clothes. I love their clothes, but they don't make my size. And I'm like, you make these clothes and you don't make things that could fit me. I'm an extra large, it's not that hard. Um, but it can, it can get in your head and it's a constant battle for me to like combat what society is saying about body image. Um, but I do believe it. I like really believe like life is too short to like feel like you have to lose 10 pounds before you can wear a skirt that you love
1: like wear it now.
2: If you lose 10 pounds, buy another one.
1: Okay. Love it. That's so true. And I I like how your line. um, I mean, I have a t shirt now I don't have your your full line. But even when I'm looking at it on your website, it looks so like it could transform from casual wear to professional wear to just lounge wear in the house, you know, so do you design clothes like this is what I want to wear this is my size and then kind of grow from there absolutely I
2: design clothes for myself in the very beginning I tried to design what I thought people wanted it did not go well because I was like I designed it and I was like I don't want to wear that like what (laughs) give us an example so there was a moment I designed this like boxy t-shirt you know had like wide arms it was like a very square cut but that was like what people were designing And I designed it in this like bright, bright pink color. I don't really wear bright pink. and just wasn't like a shape. It didn't flatter me. It looks good on my model who was a size medium, but like it looked terrible on me. But it's like what people were designing. It's like the shape that people were designing that year. And so I felt like I should do it. And like nobody bought it. I didn't like it. I never wore it to markets. And I was like, why did I make that? Like if I'm not going to wear it, other people aren't going to wear it. Like why would I make that? And so now most fashion designers make, uh, they use a fit model that's a size six. And they design clothes for the fit model. They have the fit model come in and try on the clothes. I design clothes for myself. So I design everything in an extra large. I try it on. If it looks bad on me, I fix it. Um, and, and then after I, it fits me the way that I like, I also have a relatively hourglass shape. And like, I have a really large chest. So I think it's important for me to design things that fit women with large chests as well.
1: Yes. Thank you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And so once I like how it fits on me, then I grade the pattern and that means I size it up and down. So I go from small to three X and all my patterns.
0: That range. How does that compare to the quote unquote normal range that a lot of other lines do? Yeah. Most brands do extra small through large or
2: extra large. Okay. And like, I think I've like, I, I have patterns for extra small. And if women ask me for it, I will, I will make it for them. That's the beauty okay. of having a small business, but I don't stock it regularly because I think I, I could count on like two hands, the number of extra smalls I've made. And when I put them on a clothing rack at market, people are like, oh, that's for kids. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I'm like, it's not, it's not for kids, but there are women who are that small. You know, I don't discriminate against them either. Right. Right. <laughs> It's a consumer perception thing that you have to combat when you're when you do in-person sales and interactions. So it's really fascinating.
0: Let's talk about your business model. Yes. And how that's been affected, changed, tweaked, even as a result of COVID.
2: Yeah. So my business model before coronavirus was to do um, like two pop up markets a month and like in the holiday season, like one every week. Um, Like eighty percent of my business was in person, and twenty percent of it was online. Coronavirus happened. It was my first market was that Saturday, and it got canceled, so I didn't do a single market last year. Wow, zero in person sales. And um, initially, I sort of stopped because my I have two kids that are five and seven now. And I like, you have to virtual school them. They're Montessori. So like virtual schooling Montessori is like a whole, it doesn't really
1: work. <laughs> I can't even imagine. Uh, <laughs> and under five. Yeah. 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 Imagine, imagine. yeah. So special. It was very special. Um, we had fun though. That's <laughs> a full-time fun. job That's right so there. Nice.
2: Yeah. And so like, I literally stopped doing my business and just like focused on schooling my kids. Cause I was like, I gotta do this. Like they have to finish the school year. And one of my other maker friends, reminded me three weeks in, she's like, you don't have to give up your business to like be mom and be wife. Like people still need beautiful things even though we're in a global pandemic. And that really resonated with me. And I was like, let me keep making things for people. Because I was about to launch my spring line. And then the CDC started, um, like there was a shortage of masks and things like that. And I have a lot of friends who are nurses and doctors and work in medical fields. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, I can do something about this. Like I have the ability to sew face masks. So let me find the right pattern that fits the most type of faces and is like the most economical and like, let me start making face masks. So I started making them out of scrap fabric. Cause I wasn't going to the fabric store. I couldn't like every, the shipping was delayed by weeks and weeks and weeks. So I had like bins of scrap fabric and started making face masks for people um, for free and sending them to my friends and like people who reached out to me that needed face masks. And then at some point the CDC said that everybody needs to be wearing them. And I was like, okay, well, I can't, I can't just give away face masks. Like my time and energy are worth money. Um, and if this is my business. Like I can't just yeah. give things away for free all the time. So I started selling face masks to fund the ones I was giving away. And then ultimately just like, it was a business pivot. Like I started selling face masks to keep my business afloat. It went better than I could have ever expected. Probably, gosh, like a month after that, um, the murder of George Floyd happened, Breonna Taylor, the list goes on. Yep. And it was sort of this awakening for a lot of white folks, reawakening. I don't know really how to describe it. But y'all know what I mean. And was, the Blackout Tuesday happened and I was just like real annoyed about Blackout Tuesday, about the squares. Like I got on Instagram and it was just like all these black squares. And I was like, I have to, I posted about it and my post went viral because it just felt like the void, like it, it was an absence of people actually doing work. Like you posting a black square is not you learning about racial justice. Yeah. It's you stepping out of the conversation. And that was like, I was like, I can't keep, I can't hold my tongue on this. And so I wrote this long post. It went incredibly viral. It's the best post I've ever done. And that was not the intention. I just wanted to say my piece. Right. Um, And because of that, and because of um, Blackout Tuesday and like people's desire to support black owned businesses, I made like $4,000 in sales in like two days. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And- grew my Instagram following grew by like four thousand it was nuts it was nuts over the course of June. Um and I did it had a better month in June than I normally have during holiday season.
0: Wow okay
2: yeah and so <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic so which is like it's multi-layered right so wow. it's a global pandemic I'm struggling to get like raw materials struggling to get envelopes to mail things out to get yes. um mailers to get like, postcards, like, a little informational postcard to get fabric. Like, everything is delayed. So, like, people are buying all these things from my website. And I'm like, oh, my God, I have to put stuff out of stock because I've run out of fabric for things. And, like, and also mourning the loss of more Black bodies at the hands of the police wow. simultaneously.
0: Right.
2: Right. So it's, like, this incredible high and this incredible low <laughs> at the same time and balancing, like, how do you create space yeah to like reflect on and mourn the state of our country for people who look like me and look like us yeah. while also working around the clock to fulfill these orders because people white people have finally decided that they're going to support black owned businesses you know it's and like i'm incre- i'm incredibly grateful for my customers and like they've stuck around and they're awesome i have some of the best customers but it still is like there's a lot happening behind the scenes and processing and things that I think people don't really think about that business owners are we're going through and like I've talked to other Black business owners who felt a similar thing in that in that moment and continue right. as our businesses have
0: grown. And I think that, I mean to your point that that's a specifically challenging thing for business owners, but honestly, I also feel like just Black people in general. Like I was like, you just see for the Black people right now, like we're do we're we have multiple pandemics, if you will, going on, Like right? One that's always been going on and then this one that everyone else is involved in, but our struggle right now is multi-layered. And so yeah. I, f- I felt that way going to work, trying to function, like, it was like, just leave the black people alone, please. Like we just need to recuperate. And then I can't imagine your business growing in the middle of that, which you're like, yeah, I've always wanted to do that. Right. But I'm also dealing with all of this emotionally. Yeah. And I also wonder how even, because you're in an interracial relationship and have biracial children. I so I feel like that adds another layer, I imagine, to how you dealt with it, even as a family. Can you say some, something about that?
2: Yeah, I mean, my kids are, were small enough at the time and are still kind of small enough that we did not, we don't talk about police brutality and right. in our house quite yet we do have conversations about race and race relations and the fact that mommy is brown and daddy is white. Um, but we didn't get into it as a family because we, I, I felt like it was too much for a four-year-old and a six-year-old to understand like how black people are being slaughtered by police. Um, but with my husband, you know, it's tricky. It's we, it's a, a conversation we honestly struggle with um, because I get really fired up about these topics.
0: Understand and sometimes
2: he thinks I'm fired up at him. Mm. And it's like, I'm not fired up at you. I'm fired up at white supremacy. And like, you are white, but it's not like, like you're not res- Like, responsible? I don't know how to describe that. Didn't create white supremacy. Right. Right. Didn't create it. Right. But I think it's hard for him because he's never, I don't know that he's ever really been challenged to put himself in a Black person's shoes. Like, he is compassionate to racism and will stick up for and defend people when he sees things that are racist happening. But I don't think he's ever been so close to it when it's, like, so tangible. And so it is often challenged to have those conversations where he doesn't feel like I'm blaming him for things or like lumping him in with other white folks who are being racially insensitive or racist. We can just call it what it is, racist. Right.
1: Yeah, racist. Yeah. Thanks for sharing
0: that. so, yeah, that's real. And it is a challenging conversation even with friends. So I can imagine what it's like even you know, at home. Um, and one of my colleagues, so I work and an organization that supports the early childhood space. And so one of my colleagues who she's biracial herself and married to a white guy, actually ended up having a video with her kid that went viral talking to him about Black Lives Matter and Daniel, I think is six. Um, and so it was really interesting to watch that. Cause I felt like I was like, as a parent I wouldn't even know how to engage in that. So it's, it's just a tricky topic for us grownups that yeah. it, it must be an in- interesting and delicate thing to try to figure out again with kids or with a spouse. So yeah, thanks for sharing
1: that. I feel like we've had to have a lot of difficult conversations that we typically, yeah, I know I've had so many conversations with white friends that we've been friends for like decades and we've never talked about race. you know, and just even explaining the whole like, I don't see color. And it's, you know, just different things like that. And, and finding myself like, okay, yeah, it's not my job to educate you. But let me just share my perspective. Yes, you'll never understand what it's like to live in somebody else's shoes. But I think um, it has forced dialogue that we've never had before. And trying to understand outside perspectives, you know, yeah yeah. and it's yeah I know for for our households um, because Antoine is a cop and we've had to have multiple conversations about police and then you know being a black officer is that's a whole other topic but yeah with our kids I think Nadia Nadia's 10 and she asks a lot of questions and we're able to have like different conversations about race and she doesn't fully understand you know it, yeah, it's it's weird. When you talk to children, you realize like how they make everything so simple and then we just kind of complicate things as an adult. So I could just imagine the uh, the dialogues that has created. And then I think being a black business owner, too, I think my experience has been like, OK, so these increasing sales, like, are we just aware that, are we just all of a sudden aware that Sabine is black and we're just going to purchase? You know, So I, I, used to, I went on some people's pages, like, if you hear, because I'm black, like I do have good products, yeah. <laughs> like, don't just buy from me because I'm black. And I think even, you know, why you should support black you know, black businesses, and I think just sharing the importance of that because we say women-owned businesses all the time, but sometimes when you say black-owned businesses, it's like, oh wait, why? Why are we being so specific? Why does it matter if you're black? <laughs> if you don't understand why it matters that I'm black, then you're in the wrong place. <laughs> right. <laughs> I can understand that. I think one of the things, and and you, you kind of touched on it. How you know this year has been multi-layered how are you able to be productive do you work outside of your home yeah so
2: so we actually we it has evolved right so we actually homeschooled like legit homeschooled not virtual schooled like quit public school and like signed up we have a homeschool um, for the first um half of the school year um that was wild. But my kids were coming from a Montessori environment, moving to public school. And so that change in and of itself, like for both of them. So one was going to be in kindergarten and one was going to be in first grade. And so that change in and of itself was going to be big for them because it's a different way of school. And then like, I'm asking them to do virtual school, which they did not do well with in the spring.
1: Mm.
2: And like, it was a fight every time I asked them to get online. And I was like, I don't I would rather spend my energy learning how to be a homeschooler than fighting with my children to get in front of a screen. And so that's what we did for the first six months and our first four months, I guess, of the school year. And okay. um, our plan was we homeschool in the morning and then the afternoon is my work time. And so my husband would kind of balance work and the kids. And he actually had gotten a new job that allowed him to work from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m., So he would take them from two until like five or six. So I could. Oh,
1: that's excellent. That's awesome. That worked out well.
2: Yeah. So that's how, that's how I did it then. Um, And I, my home, my studio was like in the, what we call our library. So it was my studio in in, in our home. But as of February 1st, I moved into my own studio um, where I'm sitting. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Congratulations. Um, How far is that from home? Like seven minutes. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Nice. downtown I'm literally on main street in my town Love it. Um, and it's a second floor it's small but it's not super expensive and one of the main reasons why I wanted to get my own space was so that I could hire an employee because I because of the growth of my business I'm the bottleneck right I make all of the clothes in my collection and I can only make as much as I can make right and I'm over here like packaging orders and like packaging wholesale and responding to emails and doing all the things right and you can't grow your business that way no like I needed help and so I was able to hire an employee she started two weeks ago and she is amazing
1: that's (laughs) awesome yeah Yeah. so that's, that's huge
2: yeah it's been great and like she's still learning so there's still like some things are still a little bit slow but um she actually saw, I think, an article that was in a newspaper or something. I don't know. She saw some, something about me and actually reached well, out I'm to famous,
0: me. So, I mean, hello.
2: <laughs> I did have a woman fangirl me at Joann's, which was super awesome. And She's like, Oh my God, you can let Sandra from HG Fashion. And I was like, ah, How do you know me? <laughs> She's
0: like, I have your masks. <laughs> Love that. Yeah.
2: And it was, it was awesome and super humbling and she was like so sweet but she definitely thought I was a celebrity which is so weird because I still I was still working out of my house <laughs> um, but yeah so like my employee she's actually a senior in high school and she is yeah and she's going to NC State in the fall to the textile in fashion school so like she understands fashion and like she's gonna approach it like from the fashion management side But like, she's also Latina. And so we have these great conversations about all the things. And like, it's she's she's so young, it's so sweet. She's like 20 years my junior. Um, But it's interesting to hear the perspective of like a high school student. Yes. As as I feel like a senior citizen when I talk to her. (laughs) But she's also like really wise beyond her years. And like the way that she thinks about how things play out in her high school environment, and like in the activities she's involved in, and um, it just like it's really refreshing to be around her. Um, and she's a fast learner, which is wonderful.
1: <laughs> that's yeah, you. That's Alrighty. the goal. <laughs> so now having an employee, though, um, like when I think of productivity, I think of like all the behind the scenes, you know, work that entails of having a business. It's one thing to like have an order, but then all of the behind the scenes of like creating a system and how we're going to implement certain policies to be able to make it run like a smooth machine, you know? Um, how does it help? Like how does an employee, where does she kind of fit in?
2: Yeah. So there's a lot of like cutting and ironing and packaging orders and things like that that gets like prep done. Work. Yeah. Like I don't need to be the one that does all of that. Um, And so now she cuts all the face masks and all the insides of the face masks. I still sew them all. She cuts them all, she irons them all. There's like two different steps where they need to be ironed before they can be sewn. Um, And she does all that for me. Um, So like makes that process. So I can be doing something else. Like I can be sewing samples for the spring collection while she's handling face mask stuff. And then while she's packing up orders, I can be um, fulfilling skirt orders because I still have to make all the skirt and top orders. And so it allows like two things to be happening simultaneously. Whereas before it's like, if I'm not packing orders, the order's not getting packed. Um, So we're, we're able to like sort of have multiple things happening at the same time. And we sort of have a flow of how things go, like how things are packed and like how things are sewn and cut.
0: And she's really worked seamlessly into that. So it's been really good. Part of what you're mentioning, just making me think about the fact that you've been running this business for seven years, essentially by yourself. Yeah. Takes a certain amount of discipline, foresight, organization. Can you speak to your process? Like if somebody else is listening to this and thinking, how could I figure this out by myself? How did you figure it out by yourself? I assume it has adjusted a lot over the years, but, and then you have parenting and you have all this other stuff going on. Like how- take us through your process. Yeah. So, I mean, I think at the
2: beginning, it was a lot of trial and error. Um, okay. I believe, so I studied some, a little bit about design thinking when I was in grad school and an undergrad. And you should look it up if you're interested in how things, how innovative and creative things are made. Right. And so there's this idea that you need to, uh, there's, have an iterative process of like trial and error and failing and learning from your failure, like fail fast and fail often. So learn from that failure, iterate and try again. And so in the beginning, that was definitely my strategy. Like I'm going to try all the markets and see what works. The ones that don't do well, I'm not doing anymore. And then I was designing skirts. People would try them on at markets and if like they didn't fit right, like I could take that feedback and modify my designs, which I did in the beginning. Um and like just figuring out what tops and things work is always like in fashion design like you make two collections a year generally speaking some people do more or less um, but it's always a like trial and error situation I every collection that I make there's at least one thing that doesn't sell <laughs> like none of it sells and I do made to order so it's not a huge loss to me. I just have fabric that I can make something else out of because I haven't made it into clothes. But it it, n- it never fails. <laughs> Every season, there's one pro- one product that's like, nobody wants this. And
0: there's <laughs> is there any theme that connects them?
2: No. <laughs> just three.
0: It's super weird.
2: Like I made a skirt with pockets and everybody was like, we need pockets. I made a skirt with pockets. I didn't sell any any of that. One year I made a top that I thought was really lovely. Nobody bought it. They're all different colors, like just super random.
1: (laughs) What made you, because I know that in one of the interviews I was reading, you said that um, because most of the fashion industry, you know, people think of retail and, you know, I have to have a certain amount of collections a year that kind of go with the seasons. So what made you want to, I like how you say kind of create your own destiny Yeah. Like, what made you go, I guess, against the grain? Like, you know what? I'm going to sell at markets directly. I want to talk directly to my consumer. Yeah. I mean,
2: you could run yourself into the ground trying to do what the fashion industry says you're supposed to do. And I ain't got time for that. (laughs) 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 And and, like, I went to trade shows in the very beginning when I first started Geeksy Fashion. I would go to New York City to trade shows and their trade shows designed for like smaller designers. And I would take all the workshops that were relevant to my business and like learn from these people who are experts. And like, they tell you what the fashion cycle is like, you need to be selling in the fall. You need to be selling in for like the spring of the next year, but you have to have it photographed before that. So really everything needed to be a year ahead of time. Yeah. And like, look, I am never that far ahead. That <laughs> just is not like in who I am. It's not my DNA. I'm not going to be a year ahead. Um, at least as a one woman shop, I'm not. Um, and, you know, you're supposed to get a, a rep, a sales rep, and they're supposed to sell your stuff to little boutique stores. But sales reps aren't trying to talk to you if you're a tiny little brand. They want like bigger brands who can sell more volume because they make more money that way. And um, you're supposed to go to trade shows. It costs like $3,000 to go to a trade show. And then you have to hope that somebody's going to order something from you to cover that cost and then make money on top of it. And I was like, I don't have $3,000 to throw away if nobody buys my stuff. And then on top of that, you have to like actually d- like set up a booth, which
1: costs yeah. money. Trade shows are a lot of money.
2: Yeah. And like in the beginning, I was not at a place where I could do all of those things. Um, and so I was like, well, what can I do? I can do these little craft markets and pop-up markets and like build my community, build my following, understand what cus- actual customers want, not what stores think their customers want, right? I could talk directly to the people who are wearing my clothes and understand what they like, what they don't like, what they want more of, what they want less of. And that has been incredibly helpful in helping me better define my brand my target audience and like what we stand for. Um, And then I realized like you don't have to follow what the fashion industry says. You don't have to sell to wholesale. You can just sell to your customers and you make more money that way uh, because wholesale you lose like 40 to 50% of the the price of your products and depending on the agreement that you have. um, And look, I'm a people person. I love talking to my customers. Like I love hearing from them. They message me on social media. Like I meet people in the streets wearing my stuff and I love it. Um, Getting emails from my customers after they receive their orders is fantastic. And like, if I did wholesale, I don't know that I would have that kind of interaction and get that kind of feedback from my customers. Um, And like the wholesale, I have one wholesale account that does face masks and they are also wonderful. Like the the buyers for the store are wonderful. but because of the, it's a co-op grocery store, so they're never going to carry my clothes because that's not the kind of store it is. Um, but, you know, I just learned along the way, like, you don't have to follow what an archaic fashion industry says you have to follow just because they say it. Like, you can do whatever feels right for your brand as long as you find success there.
1: Because you're still meeting a need, right? Yep, absolutely. And because you're talking directly to the consumer, you know what that need is. You're not going to make everyone happy, yeah. but for those that um, that see your clothing brand, because again, they're right there. You know, they can give you the feedback, the direct feedback that you need. Absolutely. I, I think that is. I think that is important. And I love the point about um, failing fast. Easier said than done, but yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sometimes it feels easier done. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's true too. <laughs>
2: yeah, no, it's, and it's hard, like failure, it's, we're taught not to fail. We are taught that failing is bad, but I think like, it's really important to flip that on its head and think of it like, it's going to be failure, but think of it as like, what can I learn from this experience? Like, what can I, how can I shift my perspective or my actions or my business in a way that allows me not to have this exact same failure again? Right. And I feel like that's really
0: important. That is very important. And, you know, the thing about failure too is we, we learn things we would have never learned otherwise. It's like, yeah. I wouldn't have known if I didn't try this and have it go this way, but the key is to not keep making the same mistakes. Absolutely. I love the point that you made about essentially creating a business that works for you and works for your customers. That sounds so basic, but so often we don't approach things that way. We will right. focus on the ideal or how it should be or whatever that is. Uh, and I, I just love that, the freedom to figure out what works for you and your customers. Right. Like who cares what the system, oftentimes the systems we're trying to match were created a long time ago by a, very, by a group lacking diversity Or you're like, no, this doesn't actually even work for most people, much less you know, the one group maybe that created it. Um, I also love the point you talked about your network. I think that's what the kind of network of your customers, if you will. That's one of the things we really loved about your story too, is just that it seemed like there was such a community around your business, which is unique uh, and just really cool. That It just seems like there's a whole... Again, there's just a community. I can't think of a better word to, to yeah. say that. Do you feel like that was something you actively tried to cultivate or did it just kind of happen as your business grew?
2: Oh yeah, no, there was, it was an active cultivation of my consumers. Um, I think a lot of people when they start a business are told or believe that the more followers you have, the more sales you'll make. And mm. yeah, like it's a it's a numbers game. And that might be true for some brands, but like I wasn't in it for the short game. I'm in it for the long game. Like I need people who are going to believe in what I'm making, believe in what I'm doing and join the journey. And I've always talked about it as a journey. And I always tell my customers, like in my emails and things like, thank you for being a part of this journey because that's what it is. And I have customers who've bought things for from me from the beginning. And a million stories about, like, I had one customer who, I made a new cardigan, right? And I had never made pockets before. And this woman has bought numerous things for me. And she got her cardigan, and the tops of the pockets weren't sewn, like, quite right. They were, like, slightly off in a way that if she, like, put her hand in her pocket a million times, it could start unraveling. And she let me know. And I was like, oh, my gosh, yeah, like, bring it back to me, and I'll fix it. Mm-hmm. And I did. And like, I just gave her a new one and like fixed the one that, I, that she returned. But like having that kind of relationship where a customer can feel comfortable being like, this isn't quite 100%. And you can say, my bad. Let me fix it for you. And the customer continues to shop with you, right? Is really important. And, you know, it's, it's been interesting over the last year growing my following and my community in such a dramatic way. That not everybody, it's not the same. Like, not everybody understands what my brand is about. And I have had a handful of people sliding into my DMs and my emails um, with nonsense. And some people, like, tell me how to do this racially inspired thing. I have people like, Um, why? (laughs) They don't know better. And I had one woman, this is actually, it's in my Instagram feed, who... You know i shared so i'm very intentionally intentional in my photo shoots about having diverse models i usually have yeah, one you, white do. Model. you, you yeah. do you you do. have and yeah. body
1: types and yeah
2: yeah and i usually have one white model because it's my friend alicia and she's wonderful and she'll always be there for me <laughs> alicia, as a matter of fact <laughs> right? and and then i you know it, it depends who my other model is depending on like the time of year or whatever and so i have this one picture of ashley and my friend alicia Um, And they're laughing together. Like that was like the most fun photo shoot we've done because they are like so giggly and so happy together. So we got a lot of really fun, like vibrant photos. And it was a great photo. And this woman commented, see, this is the stuff I love with no thought to race. And I was like, oh no. I was like, that's not how this went down. I was like, I have to be incredibly intentional about the models that I choose. There was a lot of thought about race. When I plan this photo shoot, yeah. like it didn't just magically happen that way. Like I had to plan it that way. And I always have to plan it that way. And the fact that this woman thought like, see, we're going to hold hands in Kumbaya and nobody actually has to do any work. And I was like, that's not, that's not how that works. And that's yeah. not how this went down. And I'm going to make sure that, you know, because it's really important for you not to take for granted that, Oh, this, this is what, this is what a diverse business is. See, it's so easy. It's not easy.
1: No, it has to be intentional.
2: Yeah. And like, there have
1: been times where like, I've
2: had ask friends of friends of friends, do you have like a black or Hispanic or Asian or Indian friend who can come model for me? Because my friends are not available. (laughs) You know? So.
1: No, and I love how intent you are. And from my experience, even with my t-shirt, which I love, your just attention to detail and i can tell that you want to bring your consumers on this journey with you because every single email and even in the order it just seems so personal i mean you even signed <laughs> the thank you i was like is that her?" oh wow that's actually like ink <laughs> you know so just your attention to detail and your appreciation for supporting a small business and i don't know it's as a consumer, it just made me feel special. So it was like beyond of like, what did I order again? It was more so, yeah. Just I, I just loved the way that I felt, you know, giving my business. It would make me want to like purchase more. So thank you for that. It's you know,
2: I try to be really intentional about how all of it flows. Yeah, um, because it's it, it is important. Like I you're buying from me a one woman shop, how a two woman shop. <laughs>
1: um, right.
2: And, you know, to know, for customers to know, it's not just a corporate black hole. Like I am a person with feelings and a family right. and, you know, hopes and dreams and you buying something
1: from me allows
2: those dreams to be realized.
1: So, I, I mean, I definitely felt that as a consumer. On that note, just wanted to um, tag on a question. I know we've talked a lot about your
0: intentionality and the community you're building. If you had to describe what the feel is that we should get from your company, from your brand, how would you put that into words for someone who's never known of your brand? Like, What, what should they expect? Yeah, I mean, so
2: the the clothes are modern and stylish and comfortable. The community also comfortable, authentic and real. We keep it real. And on all things, body image, race relations, women in business. We uh, just keep it real.
1: And just curious, as we wrap up, what would you recommend for us? I know that you can't see like our full figure, but I'm just curious, like, what would you wreck from your line? Like, what are some things that you would recommend? Because um, I feel like I am always just being in business, having to go on presentations but then also lounge wear from working from home and for all the things what are some things that I'm just curious what would you recommend yeah
2: I feel like for you Sabine the Tetragon pocket cardigan could be really good okay it's made out of sweatshirt material but it's like real thin sweatshirt material but looking at it you can't really tell okay and you can pair it with like a blouse and dress pants and it looks real sharp and like some booties Okay. Or you can like literally put on sweatpants and a t-shirt and put it on over top and it's really comfortable.
1: Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, I'll note that. Yeah. And it
2: tra- and it looks like when you put it on for like a call, it looks like professional because it's got like a little collar. It's good.
1: Okay. Nice.
2: Um, Lisa, Lisa, Lisa. Yeah. Yes. I, ooh, I think you would, I feel like you might like the single tuck drape top and uh, like the prison skirt. I'm sorry i'm looking at my collection over here I'm okay yeah
0: <laughs> I, was like, I need to looking along over here
2: <laughs> um, because the single tuck drape top is like a real easy it's like a lightweight polyrayon blend um and it has like this pleating detail in the front that is interesting and like graphic so if you're on a zoom call it's like you know in the frame yes um i need mean, have- all the things in the frame, right? And it's also really comfortable because it has the pleat. Like, I don't take out material from it, so it's sort of like loose and, and comfortable. And it has this really wide hem at the bottom, which is like a fun detail. But like, you could wear it with leggings and do your Zoom call, and it would be perfect. Um, or you could pair it with dress pants again, dress pants and booties, or a skirt, like I was mentioning, um, and heels. And it looks very professional. It's like a blouse
1: under a blazer. Love wow. it. Yeah. Okay, thank you. <laughs> well, wow, thank you yeah, for okay. the personal curation we got. <laughs> and all of this is,
0: is in comfortable fabric. Cause I think, cause it's funny cause I think post COVID we're all I'm like, why, is, why isn't everything made in either yoga pant material or like, right? material? like why do we even have other fabrics? Right? Yes. useless. Yes, thank yes. you for making my dream a reality. I didn't even <laughs> I only make things in stretch fabrics. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much just for sharing. I mean, we talked about so many things, business, parenting, race, all of the things. So thank you so much for just sharing your passion, your journey. I love your, just the story of your brand and how authentic you are. And I want to be part of your tribe. Like, I love that. You're already Um, there.
0: You're already
1: there, Sabine. I'm already there. You're You're in, you're in.
0: So how can
2: people find you? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at Geek Chic Clothing. You can visit my website at www.geekchicclothing.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Geek Chic Fashion, or Twitter at Shop Geek Chic.
1: Okay. And they can just shop right online. And- I know the, they could shop right through Instagram too.
2: You can shop through Instagram. You can't buy
1: face masks through
2: Instagram because of the okay. guidelines, but you can, um, there is a link in my profile. Shop directly on my website. Thank you so much. Yeah, Thank you for having me.
0: I really enjoyed our conversation. Of course. Of course. We know your business is going to keep growing and changing and transforming. So we might need to catch up again and be like, where are things now? So.
2: Yeah, I hope so and I would love that. I'd love to catch up with you guys again.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Sabine, who are you giving kudos to this week?
1: So this week, I would take out Maddie James for coffee. And I know that she's a coffee drinker because she always has a cup in the morning. Actually, she has a challenge on her Instagram of making sure that people drink eight ounces of water before their first cup of coffee. But she is a blogger, an influencer, and just, in my opinion, a great motivator. Um, I don't know her personally. I've just been following her content. But this month end year, I had its challenges for me just as a creative and just as a content creator, just feeling kind of stuck with just creating content. And what I love about her content is that she always has a way of like bringing it back to like your why, what do you, why are you doing what you're doing? Um, And I recently took her one month challenge of being consistent. She's always talking about consistency and it's definitely, it was definitely the kick in the butt that I needed. And her challenge was to create a post every single day, even Saturdays and Sundays, because for some reason I'm like, well. Monday through Friday, people only need (laughs) content. But that was her challenge for the month of February. And I did it for 27 days straight. And yeah, I didn't win the prize. But I think, if anything, it just, man, it allowed me to create a schedule. It allowed me I was like, wow, I can be consistent for 27 days straight. So Maddie James, I would be traveling to Georgia to take you out for coffee just because I think you're cool and I want to hang out with you. Who would you take out for coffee or tea? I would take out Lovey Ajayi, who is an
0: author, a New York Times bestselling author for the second time. And a fellow podcaster, right? Fellow podcaster, fellow Nigerian American. She is writer, blogger, became an author recently, released her second book, and that already made the New York Times bestseller list, as well as her first book, which you know made that list when that came out a couple of years ago. And she's doing a virtual book tour because COVID, and I was able to go. So that was the first time I've done a virtual book tour. And she was in this conversation with the, another author, um, Glennon Doyle, that was just incredible. It was really inspiring. Her book is called Professional Troublemaker. This is not an ad. haven't read the book yet, but I'm giving her kudos just because the conversation that the women had on that book tour was life-giving. She talked about so many things. There's something called an oriki that we, Yoruba people, have, which is a way that it's like a praise name usually given to you about by your grandparents and she encouraged us all to give ourselves an oriki so that we praise ourselves and remind ourselves who we are like, oh, I like that like the games of thrones watchers there was like a particular person character who had all these names where they're like first of her name mother of this mother of that like that's kind of a, an oriki where you basically there are all these things about who you are and how awesome you are and how we all need to know that and have that she talked about the importance of our friends and getting to the places we want to get to like having the right friends they talked about showing up as artists showing up as writers there was just so much in just that conversation so I guess I'm taking them both out for tea or coffee uh, or whatever it is they want to drink but Lovey, in particular just has had this amazing journey from again little Nigerian American girl to world changer and so I, I would just take her out, have a conversation with her, thank her for the gift she's given me and so many of us. And just, I love women like that who keep showing up and using their voices, who give us permission to show up, to take our space and to make a difference in the world. So really excited, can't wait to read the book. She talks a lot about her grandmother in the book and you know how close I was to my grandmother. So I'm just, so on a lot of levels, it kind of resonated with me and I can't wait to read the book. And would love to have a conversation with Lovey sometime soon. So, Lovey, if you're listening to this, let's have a have a chat and and a drink, and so I can give you your kudos. So, keep up the good work. And so, with that, that concludes our show. Thank you so much for listening. We've had a couple of great conversations. I feel like we've touched on a lot of things. And so, I'm really excited about this episode. Hope you've enjoyed it. Share it subscribe if you're not subscribed already so you don't miss an episode write us a review rate us five stars of course because you love us and keep showing up thank you for listening
1: and of course you can find us on apple Podcasts, spotify google podcast stitcher iheart you know all of the things and on facebook and instagram at sabine and lisa until next time bye